turn in your Bibles to Colossians. Uh, we looked at this last week, and there's a little bit more I want to mine from this passage of Colossians. We talked about how the hope is there, uh, the hope of Christmas, uh, and what that is, and how it powers us in our life. Uh, but as you could see, as we read this last week, there are some uh, close ties with love, uh, with what love is. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read especially verse 3, 4, and 5, and then read verse 8. Um, and so, uh, in honor of this being God's Word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. And just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love and the Spirit. You may be seated. And so this is, again, a group of people Paul's never met. He's writing them a letter. Encourage them. He's heard about some things. Uh, about them through Epaphras, some things concerning and some things very good. And so he is starting off with this, this prayer and the things he's heard. And he said, you know, I thank God. I just want you to know, I've never met you before, but I thank God for you. It's, it's kind of like this uh, relationship that we have with this man named Timothy. I've never met Timothy myself personally. I've seen his house. Uh, a group of us saw his house, and his three young boys were there. Uh, so I've seen his three young boys, but I've heard about them. Uh, and like this, uh, same situation, Paul's heard about these Colossians, and he, so he says, you know, I want to just thank God for you, because I've heard some things about you. I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, and I've heard about the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Uh, and so when he talks about the faith, uh, the hope, and the love, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, we see that in First uh, Corinthians, the uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love, faith, hope, and love. But we see here that hope is the root of love. And it's the hope of what is yet to be. We looked at this time, uh, last time we saw this, the hope of heaven is the hope really of Christ. And so the Bible teaches that heaven is a place where there is perfect union, union with God, there is no more presence of sin, and so there is Christ fully known. So heaven is a world of love. Heaven is a world of love. Um, so what is this world filled with? What is this world? If that's heaven is a world of love, then what's this world filled with? Well, love misdirected. This is a world of love misdirected uh we learn from scripture that we're made to love god but in this world the world that we know instead of loving people we love things and we love ourselves and we love comfort and so if we love 
comfort and we love materials, we cannot at the same time love people. You will either use one and love the other. So if we're loving people, then we're going to use things and materials to love them. But if we love materials and love comfort, we will use people. And that's why church and family comes in conflict. (laughs) All right? Because we tend to love comfort and use people. But then we are around our own children. And everyone tells us that we ought to love our children. But our children get in the way of comfort. Right? Right? They, they get in the way of ourselves. And so, you know, there's this huge conflict that occurs that I ought to love you. But you know what? You just made me angry. You made me frustrated because I love myself. And it just gets right in the way. And then we do that, and wouldn't you know it, that happens at church too. So let's just go somewhere else. Let's go to some other church until someone gets in the way there, all right? Uh, And so that's God created family, He created church because it's about learning how to live Christ, all right? Uh, And that requires love, which requires denying yourself. So when the Bible says, take up your cross daily and follow me, what does that look like? I'm going to tell you that taking up your cross looks like loving people. All right? Taking up your cross, denying yourself, looks like loving people. If you don't love people, you really have very little reason to deny yourself. Uh, and so with that thought, let's just consider uh, some observations about love as we read this. And the first thing that comes to my mind as we read verse 4, that love is a public thing. Love is public. It's not something that you keep secret. In fact, if it's secret, you could argue that it's not really love. All right. He says, I have heard of your love that you have for all the saints. Isn't that something? I, I, it makes me wonder... What does Nightdale hear about this church? What do they hear about this church? Jesus has asked us to say, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples. By the love, your love. The love for Christ and the love for others. And so uh, that's one of the questions that has to come to us. Is what do people know about us? What do people know about you? Not the image you put off, but what is the effect of your life in them? Sometimes it's, we feel okay to have an image of godliness, to have an image of Bible reading, having an image of God worshiping. But what is the effect that you have on someone? You realize that's not the same thing? And what do people remember? Do people, will they remember your image or will they remember the effect that you had on them? So the challenge before us is let's make it public. And so we've got to demonstrate it to one another. It comes out in our words, it comes out in our actions and how we treat one another. When it's all said and done, it's right there. Uh, So is the answer then is, okay, let's just love one another if that was the answer, then family life would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Just, just love your kids. Just do it, you know? 
just love your husband, just love your wife, just love your parents, just, that's it. Don't, you know, come back and talk to me later once you've done that, you know? it, it doesn't quite work that way, does it? We can't just muster it up. So how does this work? Well, let's keep our reading. It says, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, and we looked at this last week, and I, and I think it's important to bring it out again, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So we looked at this last time. Love is the fruit of hope. Love is the fruit of hope. So as we read this, we've got to ask yourself, what is your hope? And we saw last week that hope is really laid up for us in heaven, which is in Christ. And when it's all said and done, we look at all the other scriptures, that is that I get to be like Christ, and I get Christ in my life. And so it really does matter what you set your heart on, how you feed your mind. And he says, of this hope you've had laid up for you, And then it says, of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Is your mind being filled with the gospel? Is your mind being filled with truth? You will set your hope on that which you know the most about. We tend to set our hope on that which we know the most about, that which we spend our time filling our mind with. In fact, Matthew uh, says that Jesus said it this way in, in Matthew, whatever you set your heart on, there your treasure will be also. He was speaking that in relationship to money. So lay up your treasure in heaven because your heart will be there also. And so what do you intend to invest in? Let me, we could just look at your calendar, couldn't we? Can we just look at the diary of events that you do in your day? What do you spend your time working on you see the, the the thing is is that we read or we go to this this time and worship and we read scriptures like this and we think, okay let me just make sure i have a, a discipline of having quiet time in my life and we talk about this quiet time and where we'll read the bible and we'll pray about what we read and we'll they'll say okay i'm going to start off with with 10 minutes and and i'm going to do 10 minutes every day of my life and I'm going to read the Word of God, I'm going to pray about it. And then we tell ourselves, because we did that, then everything ought to go right in my day. We'll hear it say it this way, I didn't have my quiet time, so my, bat, my day went terrible. Like some kind of karma thing. of uh, Okay, God knows, and bam, you're going to get it now. Uh, is that really setting your mind on the Word of Truth? I can assure you there's a lot of things I've read that I forgot about in my life. Uh, What do I believe is really true? Do I believe what I see on Facebook is really true? So let me ask this question, those of you who are on Facebook, what, what did you spend more time doing? Looking on Facebook, reading, or considering the words of truth? We could always just look at your computer log and it'll tell us, right? Don't you think God knows these things? And that's just one avenue. And all of you who read the newspapers are like, yeah, I don't, you know, Facebook. <laughs> you, you got your newspaper, right? Is everything you read in the newspaper true? All right. I mean, it's, the point of it is, is how is the Word of God instructing our mind? What are we feeding our 
minds and setting our hearts on what you spend your time doing. And just like, well, pastor, I don't have to. I've got to go to work, you know. I, ten minutes, I'm, I'm sacrificing to do that. You see, the thing is, is that the Word of God goes with you through your day. It is the hinge of the door of your life. You, you're always revolving around some aspect of who God is. And what, when you read something, when you hear something, you're asking, well, what does God have to say about this? And it's the constant go-to point for your life. When you're hearing people say something, you're asking, well, what does God have to say about this? And, and so it's a constant prayer of our life to go back to this. And so this hope laid up for your heaven is going to flow out of the things you hear, the word of truth, the gospel. And so it is the fruit of hope. Therefore, you set your heart on Christ and you set your mind on truth. And then we keep on reading. Uh, we go down to verse 8. He, he, he talks about the gospel, how it's bearing fruit in verses 6 and 7, and, and that it's, it's doing this in their life. And then verse 8, he talks about Paphras and how he's told him about this church. He says, and he's made known to us your love and the Spirit. Your love and the Spirit. So this gives us another little clue here. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, who when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes into your life, instructs us, directs us in the way that we would go, that He would have us go. It is a force that must be answered in our life. And so, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, the thing that matters most is yielding your will, setting your will by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I imagine the musicians, before they played their instruments, at some point, they made sure that there was a specific note that was set a tune to a standard. A tuning fork, if you will, if we have such things, or we have other, you know, nice technological devices to do such things now. But if it's not set to that, then the music is messed up. It sounds off. So for the believer now, there is a tuning fork. It is the Holy Spirit. He is in our life using the word of truth. And it is important to have a continual tuning your spirit, setting your heart by a Holy Spirit who is in your life. So this idea of loving others isn't accomplished by saying, I've got to love people, I've got to love people, I've got to, you know, and you can write it on your wall, you can put it on your phones, love people, love people. You can have it, you can have it tattooed on your arm, your leg, you can put it on your forehead. That doesn't make you love, does it? It's not by mustering up, I've got to love. It is a shining truth that enlightens your every nook and cranny of your mind and in your heart. It is a hope of being like Christ that outshines anything you could look forward to in your heart and life. So, if your heart's set on Christ, I want to be like Christ. I have my hope set on Him. If my mind is controlled by what does the truth of God say to me, and that there is a spirit that's activating in my life that I'm going to yield my selfishness toward this spirit. 
the effect of that is love that you have for all the saints. You see, who we are in public is largely determined by who you are when no one else knows but God. How you think about it throughout the day. The grace of God will have visible fruit in your life. It may be that I'm going to be a little bit more patient. Maybe I'm going to be a little bit more kind. Maybe I'll be a little less jealous, a little less boastful, a little less arrogant, a little less rude, because after all, my hope isn't whether or not I get recognition here, but what happens with Christ in heaven. Perhaps it's to say that we're not going to seek our own advancement. But we're going to strive to do others what we would have them do to us. Because it's not just about the advancement here that matters. Our hope is set on somewhere else where no one can steal that from us. Maybe the effect of it is that we're going to be a little less irritable because no one's stealing your life goals. If your life goal is no longer to be comfortable, then someone can't steal that from you anymore when they get in the way. No one gets in the way of you becoming like Christ. If you think about that, no one can get in the way of you becoming like Christ. Even for our friend Timothy, with the threat of arrest, all that can be done only becomes a platform for which he can grow closer to Christ in. You want to have a goal in your life that is never threatened by anybody, then make your goal Christ. If you want to have a goal in your life that is never can be robbed by financial or political instabilities, then make it set on Christ. If you want to have a goal in your life that death itself cannot still, but indeed make you even closer to, then set your heart and mind on Christ. Make that your desire. If love has effect in life, perhaps we won't be so prone to keep an account of wrongs or return evil for evil. Because why do that as if we're setting up our account here on this earth and the Lord has forgiven us of so much already? How dare us count the number of times someone's wronged us. Perhaps we'll be inclined to bear all things, endure all things, for the sake of our neighbor. Perhaps it will be that we will not speak about our neighbor's faults without first going to the neighbor themselves. But, you know, pastor, if I do that, they may not like me anymore. They may not like you anymore, but that's not what you're living for. You're living for something else, and your hope is that they will gain Christ in this. Perhaps if we have the fruit of love, we will turn good for evil, use our discretionary time, the thing that no one has claims over, use it not for maximizing our fleeting comforts, but maybe we can think of ways to bless someone in their suffering. If there is the fruit of love growing in our life, maybe perhaps more and more our whole lives will take on an overflowing and other-directed spirit in our life. 
So the question always comes, is it the loving thing to do? Does it flow from who Christ is? So as we think about this, the Bethlehem. Yes, the candle, right? Bethlehem, the love candle. What does that have to do with Bethlehem? The fact of the matter is that God became the peasant king. We sang about that. You remember that? God became the peasant king. Bethlehem was a peasant place to be born in a stable. Most of us have the sanity or the sanitary conditions of a hospital and experts around us. Every once in a while you hear these stories, you see videos of someone else being born in a car or something like that. But not in a manger. Not in a barn. That's exactly what happened. And part of it was God becoming this peasant king to say, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I'm with you. He humbles himself, becomes us, so that he can love us. And love us in a way that every one of us can identify. And so when we think about this candle, think about the love of Christ, but don't let it be some abstract, oh, that's great, it's wonderful. The thing about the love of Christ is it's totally intended for it to be very practical. It's the curse words you mumble under your breath. It's the impatience that comes out with the sigh that we breathe. It is the rolling of our eyes. It is the shaking of our heads. It is the heart beating faster. That place is where the love of Christ comes out. And in that moment in time, when something's threatened to be taken from you, some comfort, some sense of being right, is that at that moment, where we say, is it really all about this anyway? Is it really all about me getting more comfortable? No. God has made you for something other than that. And so, Steve, this applies to deacons. Very much so. The word deacon is to serve. And as I've read to you, the aim of your charge is to love. And you thought it was hard to love your family? Well, your family's gotten larger. And you're asked not just to receive, but you're asked to give. And this giving is going to come at the stake of your comfort. It's going to come at the stake of what's easy. And you're being asked to do this for some of these people you don't even really know well. But you're doing it, and we're asking you to do it, not because of Green Pine's name, but because of the name of Jesus Christ. This is worship. Don't you wish it was just singing? It's not. It is to show the worth of God and how we treat one another. And to say that God is worth more to me than my comfort. What comes easy to me. It's okay. This is being asked of you as well. As being part of this family. Uh, this comes together. So the qualifications for a deacon. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
Let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I've shared this with the church, but I'm going to share this with you guys. We don't recognize you as this because you've got it all down. We recognize you and we were calling you and commissioning you for this because this is the direction you're going. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. But it's what we do after we, we make those mistakes. That's the difference. Do we give in to it? Do we give up to it? And say, well, that's just who I am? That's the, the walker in me? No. You say, no, I, I see this as sin in my life. And Christ has called me to something else. I'm going to get up by the grace of God again, and I'm going to keep seeking Christ. And you seek him in this way. This is what deacons do. They seek Christ. And they let it affect the everyday. And that's what we're calling you to do. That's what we're recognizing we're seeing you do. And we want to pray for you. And you know, this isn't just for deacons, is it? This is for followers of Christ, what he's called us to do. Godliness is not the absence of sin. Godliness is not the absence of sin. It is the abundance of repentance, of turning to Christ. And that's what he's calling us to do. And so I'm going to invite us all to set our hope on Christ. Don't set it on your house. Don't set it on your car. Don't set it on your job. Don't set it on your reputation. Please. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let that be the starting point. But those who start there end up being peacemakers. They end up being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. And they're doing it because of the sake of heaven in front of them, of being like Christ. And so that's our call. I'm going to invite us to follow Jesus. So we see this candle and we think about the love. Say, God, I want that love. Set my heart on you. 